Uh, my name is Jeremy McLean. I'm kind of loud right now, I think. I'm fine, okay. I'm one of the pastors of Anacostia River Church, and it's a joy to bring God's word to you today. We have been walking through our statement of faith, which is the London Baptist Confession of 1689, and today we've landed on the fellowship of believers. And in order for us to uh, get a better knowledge of that and glorify the Lord in our learning, we're going to um, use Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So if you have a Bible, um, turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In the Bibles that are being handed out, if you don't have a Bible, um, the young man is handing them out right now. So if you raise your hand, he will bring you one. And it's on page 911 in that Bible. And we're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And briefly, the New Testament, the New Testament has four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of the Gospels um, gives an accurate and truthful narrative of Jesus' life. Now, the writer of Luke is also the writer of Acts. And in a way, Acts is a continuation of Luke. Luke ends with uh, Jesus resurrecting from the dead and making appearances to people and commissioning them to go and spread the gospel. Acts begins with Jesus um, making more private appearances, uh, restating his command to spread the gospel, and then ascending into heaven. And when Jesus told them, commanded them to spread the gospel, he also said that he would send them a helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower them, to embolden them, to strengthen them, to lead them in truth as they teach. And so, in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within the apostles. And from that point on, they immediately begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of their preaching, 3,000 people were saved. They were saved in obedience. They, they were baptized, and then they were added. And I think they were added to two things. One, they were added to the kingdom of heaven, right? Their names were now written in the Lamb's book of life. They joined the ranks of a long list of faithful men, women, children who had placed their faith in the coming Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. And they also were added to something else. They were added to the fellowship of believers on this earth. And that's what we see in verses 42 through 47. They show us how believers should fellowship with one another in community. Let me begin to read. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their word with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how can we keep our ways pure? Only by guarding according to your word. So with our hearts, we seek you, and we ask that you would let us not wander from your commandments. Bless us, O Lord, and teach us your statutes. We delight in your testimonies. They are rich to us. Would you help us to meditate on your precepts and fix our eyes on your ways for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. There are many different communities a person could be a part of on this earth. The basketball communities, basketball could be on the sports team, it could be in a, something at school, affinity group at work. But I think, I know, the most beautiful community that could ever exist is the community of believers built up by the Lord. The most beautiful community that ever will exist on this earth is the community that is built up by the Lord. And that's what we're going to see today. So let's start by seeing how God builds his community. We're going to start in verse 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first tool God uses is biblical teachers. And the teachers at this, at this time were the apostles. Now we get the full list of the apostles that he is referring to in verses 12 through 26 of chapter 1, these apostles were basically 11 of the 12 disciples that Jesus has specifically called out to preach the gospel and who he gave authority to cast out demons and do miracles. And they were Simon Peter, um, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, another James, and Thaddeus. The 12th apostle was added um, According to Acts 126, um, he was added later in replace of Judas Iscariot, and his name was Matthias. And so the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why the apostles' teaching? Well, the apostles had insight and knew things that nobody else knew. For instance, it was Peter, James, and John that saw the transfiguration of Jesus when he reflected the God's glory. When Jesus was in a boat alone um, during a furious storm, it was only the apostles who witnessed Jesus stand up and rebuke the winds in a way that only the God of creation could do. And not only that, when Jesus used to teach miracles, oftentimes Jesus retreated from the crowd, went with his apostles, and then taught them personally. And so they had unique insight into the teachings of Jesus. 
And not only that, but they got the full inerrant teaching of the Old Testament, of the Old Testament scriptures. Luke 24 says that Jesus sat down with the apostles and walked with them through the Old Testament to show them how all the scriptures pointed to him. So the apostles were thoroughly and uniquely equipped to teach God's word by the help of the Holy Spirit in the ways that many weren't. That's why Ephesians 2.20 says that the household of God was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so like newborn babies, these new believers were listening and craving the word of God so that they could know their Savior more, so that they could know how he lived, why he lived, how he fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. And we have the teachings. We have the teachings of the apostles. We have the teaching of the 13th apostle later added by the Lord named Paul. Plus, we have the Old Testament teachings. What a privilege. What a privilege. And though, and though God gives all believers his spirit so that, so that they could understand his word, he also made us in such a way so that we would, um, could use help, need help from teachers. And so he gives the church, the believers, pastors. And teachers. So if we have been born again and want to be built up, we have to have a delight in this book. We have to delight in God's word because God's word is the tool that he uses to build up his community. And I, I was, uh, somebody after service, I think it was a visitor, asked me, maybe like in the, in the early stages of, of our church, which we still are in the early stages, said, um, you know, so, so what y'all got to offer me? And I looked like, uh, and I said, all we got is the word. We got the word of God that God used to speak into creation that cuts to the hearts of people. That's all, that's all we got. We got the word of God that makes people wise into salvation. That called Lazarus up from the dead and said, live. We got the, the all we got <laughs> is the word of God. The word of God is his tool. It's like his, it's like his little razor where he, you know, I go to the barber shop and he's sharpening me up. The word of God sharpens us up, cleans us up. And makes us fresh for him. And that's his tool to build us up. And so we use it. But not only do we use the word of God, it also says that they were, another tool is the fellowship. The fellowship is used to reflect, the word fellowship is used to reflect how they share not only a commonality, but also a responsibility to one another. They were partners in the same walk. I'm a Costco member. I don't know any other Costco members. I don't call them up and ask them to go with me. I don't ask them to sit down to eat pizza with me when I'm there. As a matter of fact, I probably don't like it when they're there. <laughs> but that's not the same when we become believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We join a fellowship. We join a fellowship 
where we are committed to teach one another, to walk with one another, to carry one another's burdens, to love one another deeply. And the mark of a true believer is that they have a deep desire for this fellowship. The same desire we used to have when we fellowship with the world is the same desire with more intensity, actually, to fellowship with our new brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no such thing as a holiday Christian who just comes on Easter and I love Easter and just comes on Christmas and just comes on any other day. No. There is no such thing as a bedside Baptist. The believer loves the fellowship and they're drawn to it. And God uses the fellowship as a tool to build his people up. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. God gives us the gift of fellowship so that we can hold on to the faith as we wait the day for his coming. And it's a great gift to us. So God gives us his word. God gives us this fellowship. And also God gives us the third source, ordinances. And we spoke about the ordinance of baptism last week. And in, the te- and in this text, when it refers to the breaking of bread, it's probably referring to the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 22 records that before Jesus died, he had a supper with his uh, 12 disciples in which he took bread, broke it, distributed it, and then he took wine and passed it around and for them all to drink. And this supper was a sign to show that he would die for believers and it, was a re- and it was a declaration that he would return to get them. So they devoted themselves to this ordinance. And since Jesus made it an ordinance of the church, until he returns, we must observe it also. And God uses it. God uses it as a tool to remind us of his great sacrifice and to build a hope in us for his great return. And the fourth tool to use, which is in the text, is prayer. Prayer. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed unceasingly. They brought their knees before the Lord, knowing that he cares for them. And I love that Luke capped it off with prayer, because if you did all these things beforehand without prayer, it would be powerless. If the Lord is going to build his beautiful church, then we have to ask him and depend on him to do it. And all of these elements are corporate, of corporate worship should be devoted to because this is the tools that the Lord uses to build his community. Christians are supposed to be wise and true with the things of this world for God's glory. But what if these four tools are all that's really needed to build a strong community of believers? It seems weak, right? It has to be more. 
some hip new program or some database or some, some type of ministry that will keep people in and, and build people up. But these, this is the tool that God used to build up 3,000 people. 3,000 people in the faith. I think it's good enough for us. So let's let God build our community with his tools. And let's take note of what, how, how our community begins to grow. And we'll see that actually in the text. One of the ways that our community will begin to grow, the community will grow in a holy reverence for the Lord. In holy reverence for the Lord. We get that in verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It's important to see that what the apostles did was called wonders and signs. By the power of Jesus Christ, they did amazing miracles. They, they healed the blind and made lame men walk. But they weren't just miracles for the sake of miracles. They were signs, signs that pointed to Jesus as being the only one qualified to save people from sins. It's the same thing Jesus did in Mark 2, right? He sees a paralyzed man. He tells the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Pharisees are like, he blaspheming because only God can forgive sins. Jesus said, okay, well, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So the par- and then the paralytic got up and went home. And that happened, to, that, that miracle occurred as a witness to testify to what Jesus was saying. That he is the son of God and that he is the one who can provide forgiveness for sins. And that's the same thing that these apostles were doing. All of their miracles were pointing to Jesus Christ as a savior. I tried to go to a concert one day, a couple years ago, a Christian concert, and I found myself in a healing service. Anybody been to a healing service? And if you don't know, that's where people go and get healed. And the man who called himself an apostle took water and started throwing it on people and was smacking people in the head and was claiming to heal people on that day. Now, I didn't interview anybody afterwards to find out if they were healed. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I do know that he didn't preach the gospel beforehand, and he didn't preach the gospel afterwards. So that alone says, away with that. The miracles we see point to Jesus being the one who blots out sins. And that's what we want Jesus for, to take away our sins and to bring us to God. So how do we want to, how do we grow in awe for the Lord 
today, right? How do we grow in our art for the Lord? Should we do some healing services or some fake healing services? Or should we do some cash giveaways or something like that? No. Corinthians 14, 24 says, he says this, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is, con- he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among us. How do we um, increase awe in our congregation? By prophesying. What does prophesying mean in this context, in this verse? It's the word of God being preached. It's the word of God being taught. It's the word of God being propagated throughout the congregation and in our hearts. That's how we increase our awe of the Lord. And a community that has an awe, that has a holy fear, a holy reverence of, a, of the Lord is beautiful. The preaching and teaching of God's word produces this awe. One brother told me that after he heard John Fulmer's sermon on coveting, that he confessed to another brother about coveting his goods. That is the word of the Lord producing awe on that man's soul and causing him to confess coveting. Confess coveting which may not be serious unless you understand the holiness of God. That, it was a reflection of God's reverence being imprinted on his heart. And that happens time and time again. I'm sure you all have many testimonies of leaving, uh, this kind of, leaving Sunday morning services and having the word preached to you truthfully and being convicted about something. And they're being stirred to do something good. That is, that is the awe of the Lord producing a holy reverence in you by his word. And that causes our body to look beautiful because holiness is beautiful. It helps us when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, it helps us to watch our words, to check our attitudes, to fight against anger and backbiting and all those vices that the Lord despises. Fearing the Lord fights against pride, cultivates humility. It helps us grow in wisdom. It grows our courage to stand up against those things that are against the Lord. And it does so much more. Fearing the Lord has allowed us as a community to have some hard objections to certain things and yet to remain united in love. A community that fears the Lord is blessed. And family, by God's grace, this characterizes us. So let's continue to grow in our fear of the Lord through the study and meditation of God's word. Now, if you're a non-believer... You look at these verses and you say, yeah, okay, I hear about God's word, but I'm trying to see a miracle up in here so that I can believe. My friend, humble yourself. God has given you miracle after miracle written down right here in this book before you. And it's not that you need to see anything. It's that you need to believe. You need to believe. 
believe that Jesus died and believe that he rose again and offers salvation to you. That is the greatest miracle. Listen, people do not simply die from natural circumstances. People die ultimately because God has placed this world under a curse. This world has been given the sentence of death and decay because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So when Adam disobeyed God, the whole world died. And since we are all filled with sin and are a part of this sinful world, when we meet death, we lose. And this earthly death is just a picture of the eternal death in hell for those who don't believe. But you see, Jesus, Jesus never sinned at all. Jesus obeyed the will of God perfectly, and therefore, death had no hold on him. This is what the apostle preached in, in verse 24 of chapter 2. It says, God raised him up, speaking of Jesus, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death had no hold on Jesus because he had no sin in him. And there was no deceit found in his mouth or his heart. So when he met death, he won and he swallowed it up. And the only reason he even saw death was so that he could taste it for us. He didn't die for his own sin. He died for our sin. When he was on the cross, he took the wrath of God on him so that there would be no wrath for us. This is a miracle that he would die for the same people that rejected him and then rise again and bring those same wicked people to be with him and to clothe them in his righteousness. That's a miracle. And that's a miracle that we all can receive if we repent and believe this gospel. We can go from death to life today today. Repent and turn from sin and believe this gospel so that times of refreshing may come upon your soul and so that you could be a part of the fellowship of believers for eternity, a fellowship that has a holy reverence of God. The community of the Lord not only has a holy reverence of God, but when the Lord builds a community, it also has loving unity. We see that in verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Once again, we see that the reference and focus is on the believers, and here the believers are together. And to describe this fellowship, it says that they had all things in common. Now, this is not some redistribution strategy just for the sake of making everybody equal. Verse, five, verse 45 says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I like how one translation said that they were selling their possessions and their goods. They weren't going to the attic. 
basement. They weren't going to the attic, right, to get the old dirty stuff. They was going in their closets to their treasure chests. And they were selling the valuable things and distributing the proceeds to all. And why could they do this? Because they had found the pearl of great price. They had found something that this world could not buy. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So friends, this is just, what they're doing is just a manifestation of of the love that they have for one another. They considered nothing on this earth as treasure anymore. They cherished heaven and they cherished the people that will one day be in heaven with them. And this is what our congregation should look like. It will be difficult, no doubt. You could look in Acts chapter 6 and you will see that inevitably some people's needs may not be met. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And the verse says that they had all things in common. Think about the they. Think about the various people that could have been in this fellowship. You had the poor widow in Mark 12 that gave away her last pennies as a temple offering. Then there was the rich mini tax collector named Zacchaeus in Luke 19. There was the beggar blind Bartimaeus. And then there was Josephus, the wealthy tomb owner. There was the ex-prostitute that anointed Jesus' feet with oil. And then here was the ex-self-righteous Pharisee named Nicodemus. And the list goes on. They all were meeting each other's needs and had all things in common despite their differences, despite their different backgrounds, despite their different cultures. This is the beginning of our article. Number one says... All saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith. But this does not mean that they become one person with him. Yet, they have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. They had so much in common. And they knew it. They had the same father in heaven. They had equal access to this Father. They had the same Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They each had the glorious inheritance of heaven. They had an unshakable kingdom awaiting them. They all had new hearts that loved the Lord, new eyes that saw the Lord, new hands that wanted to serve the Lord. They all still struggled with sin, but they all knew that sin didn't have the last say. They each had incorruptible, immortal glorious bodies waiting for them upon their death. And finally, they all had Christ, and Christ is all in all. And they truly recognized it, and they acted upon it. And that's love. And that's a love that transcends all things on this earth. 
and it's only found in the gospel. This is the love that Jesus had in mind in John 13, 13, when he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the love that is of another kingdom, of another world, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So look, I know, I know solving divisions in the church is complex, uh, but what if to help solve the, the racial or class or education or economic divisions that, that we may find in different churches and different fellowships? What if people truly focused on the things they had in common? Truly, truly focused on the things they had in common. I mean, you have a conference on racial reconciliation and half of the plenary sessions are on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the believers' lives. You sit down at a table and, and you sit around with somebody who's different from you and you begin to first discuss all the things that the Lord has done for you and all the things that the Lord has in store for you. And then after that, when we have a deep sense of family, we say, now how can I meet your needs? How about that? This is what should happen. This is what we should long for in our congregation. This is true Christian fellowship. We should have a deep abiding love for one another that overrides everything. And I've seen people in this church do this, just that. People have let friends stay at their homes for free so that they could have a place to stay. People give rides and provide food for one another in tough circumstances. And not only that, but there have been tireless prayers and Bible studies to help one another. From the reading of Pilgrim's Progress at Miss Connie's house or to the future Bible study at Peter's house, you all are meeting each other's needs, both materially and spiritually. And I praise the Lord for the love and the unity that, that's flowing through this place, flowing through this place. And I pray that we will continue to depend on the Lord and grow in that love and unity. But not only if the Lord builds the house, our house will we grow in awe of him. Not only will we grow in our love and unity, but we'll also grow in our glad generosity. We'll see that in verses 46 and 40, 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. The 3,000 people that were worshiping together as one big corporate body also broke down into smaller groups, worshiping together over meals in individuals' homes. 
The fellowship did not just stay within the church walls on a particular day, but instead, day by day, they were gathering in the temple and also in each other's homes and in other places. And to do this, the people were, had to be glad and generous. The people who were offering their homes and their meals and the people who accepted the offer. Rick and other brothers know that if I invite more than three or four brothers over my house, they're going to have pancakes and water. However, they still come with glad, even though I'm not that generous. I'm going to grow in it, though. Work with me. That's all I had, though, for real. Even though had, they still came with glad hearts to fellowship, to be with one another, build one another up. And that's love. And we need to be in each other's homes and in each other's lives. And this is not restricted to people with big houses and nice houses and nice big yards. This is for all believers. I will never forget when one college student invited another Christian family into his college dorm for a meal and fellowship. If your house has enough space for one person, then invite one person. And it doesn't have to be a home. It could be over a meal somewhere else, like Daniel organizing men's Bible study and fellowship after church over at Hunan's. The point is that making time to meet each other's needs outside of church-sanctioned events is a means of grace for believers, and they should do so regularly. Now, there are particular barriers of why it could be hard. There's distance, there's time management, there's work hours and life schedule and children. But there are spiritual barriers also, an unwillingness to be known by others, an unwillingness to share a preoccupation with lesser things. A shamefulness of where you might live or how your house may look in comparison to others, etc. This goes on. You know your heart better than I do. Whatever the reason, I do know these two things. Our hearts are too sinful. And God paid too big a price for us not to fellowship with the rest of the people he died for. Paid too big a price. I was at an a, a indoor park yesterday with the kids, and um, I saw this parent look at their child, and it was like, boy, you better, go, you better go play that game I put them tokens in. And that's the same thing the Holy Spirit does in our hearts too, right? He said, look, the Lord Jesus ransomed these folk by his blood. You better go fellowship with them. You better love them. This is your family forever. And that's what we should do. We should make it our effort. We should be devoted. It should be intentional. And we shouldn't just be nice to other believers, it says in, in the rest of the verse of 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
They found favor with all people. And we should be praising God, and we also should be so kind and compassionate to outsiders that we find favor with them. We should make it our duty to, to declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we should make it our aim to be servants to all. And in my mind, there is no greater reason to praise God and to be compassionate to all than the last part of this verse, verse 7. And it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We praise God and we are humble servants to all because the Lord still saves and we are living testimonies of it. While we were running hard towards hell, God ran harder towards us and he saved us by his grace. He added us. He gave us to the son. He first loved us and because of that now we truly love him. All glory be to our Lord and Savior. And what is the best way that we can show compassion to the community, to our neighbors? It is the gift of the gospel. It is the message of Jesus Christ. Spreading the gospel is of first importance as we also love them with our deeds. Now, if you read the rest of Acts, you will see that the favor might quickly end because they began to be persecuted, but we have to expect that. If they persecuted Christ, they may and they persecute us, but that's okay because God's glory and their souls are worth it. I was so convicted last night, I went to an event with, with Tiffany, my wife, and they were promoting this organization called Free Minds. And the goal of this organization is to serve DC youth who committed crimes and are now in adult prisons. And they serve them by teaching them how to read and write and testimony after testimony. These people who had hardcore crimes are saying that they're now living on a new path. And testimony after testimony, they said that the reason that they started was that this person, this lady, would not stop asking them to join the group. For nine months straight, this one young man said, cursed at her every time she asked him. She had no favor with him at all. And yet she kept asking. And finally, he said yes. Shouldn't we be all the more persistent? We have true life to offer Life in Jesus Christ. We have true freedom to offer. We have true love to offer. No greater love than this. That a man lays down his life for a friend. And God demonstrated this love towards us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. This is love. And this is the love that we can offer folk when we share the gospel to them. And by God's grace, we ask that the Lord would add them to the number day by day. So we should be persistent in evangelism and persistent in prayer and persistent in love because we know that the Lord saves.
when I look at this passage, I see a beautiful community. When I look out at you all, I see a beautiful community. Let's let this beauty shine to the world that they may glorify our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are altogether lovely. You are altogether wonderful. And you are more than life to us. And we derive our beauty and our worth from you. And we praise you for that. We thank you that we can share in your glory. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. We ask that you would use the beauty of our congregation to radiate your glory throughout the Anacostia area, throughout D.C. and throughout the world so that your son may be glorified. Bind us together in love, in unity, in holy reverence of you, and in generosity. And we continue by your grace, Lord God, to build us up by your word, by prayer, by the ordinances, and by fellowship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.